Hello and welcome to My First Dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast that helps game masters learn new games and make each one better than the last. This season, I'll be stepping back into the GM seat, or in this case, taking on the mantle of death itself. So I'll need someone to help run this interview. So please welcome back to the show, Elliot Davis. Wow, hello. Hi, Brian. I'm excited to run another interview and excited for you to pop back into the GM seat. Yeah, I'm excited. What game are we playing? Well, let me give you a little intro. Nine lives to stalk the earth. Nine times you will die with sword in paw. Nine times you will be carried by the Valkyries to the gates of Valhalla where no man has tread. Nine times you'll be found worthy and granted the blessing of your forebearers. Nine times you will cast a wake of blood and carnage upon this blighted earth. Nine lives to Valhalla! Oh, that game. So, yeah, yeah we're going to be playing we're going to be playing yeah. Nine Lives to Valhalla. Cool, 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 cool. But as always on my first dungeon, we want to set up game masters for success. There is no better way to do that than by talking to the designers of this game themselves. Please welcome to the show, Kali Lowry and Dan Phipps. Kali Dan, welcome to the show. Hi, hey. Hi. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Very excited to have you. Um, so it's great to have you guys on the show, and uh, I've been following your guys' work for a while. I remember this was Zine Month 2022, right? That that sounds right. Time yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> post pandemic is a bit nebulous, but I'm I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my first month ever designing a game, so I felt I felt a kinship with Nine Lives to Valhalla from. Oh, from congratulations! The <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I guess so. Brian's going to be stepping into the GMC, and we really want to kind of as he said, help set him up for success. But broadly to start, could you just tell us what Nine Lives to Valhalla is? What are the sort of themes, tones, maybe inspirations? Nine Lives to Valhalla is very much a game about how cats see themselves. Like if a cat were to write a tabletop RPG describing the world according to a cat, I like to think this is somewhat what would come out the other side of that. It's also very much a borderline cosmic horror perspective on how animals see humans and how we've affected them and domesticated them and completely changed the environment around them and um, how that would affect their perception of us as almost uh, the way we talk about your, your Cthulhu or eldritch gods from beyond the stars, like this unfathomable intelligence that you know could come from somewhere else wrapped up in a comically ultraviolent maelstrom of death and carnage i really love the idea of like if this if a cat wrote a ttrpg like this would be a cat's power fantasy because um me and abby we have we have two cats bart harley jarvis and roy donk and they're the the most indoor cats you'll ever meet but in our like head canon for them and like the the mythos that we have in our own house, they're you know rough and tumble street cats. So like if they were gonna write a power fantasy, it would be let me take on sword and shield, brother. I will protect you. We will go graciously and valiantly into the halls of Valhalla. Oh yeah, there's nothing that a tough cat can't handle. Exactly. <laughs> right up until you know it's on its eighth life, but right. 
Right up until they need you to feed them, at least. Um, <laughs> yeah, let them out. <laughs> so, Brian, you know, a uh, listener would be forgiven for thinking you're not, you know, 100% prepared given how you slammed that intro. But I know that there are a couple of things you're maybe a little nervous about running this game for the first time. What's sort of the, what are you most worried about as you go into this this one shot we're doing? Yeah, reading, reading through this game, my my biggest things of this game are so, so one of the one of the big uh mechanics of this game is anytime the dice gets rolled something or someone dies and i'm like how do you do that and how do you make it satisfying every time like how do you make sure that every death is glorious and meaningful and and i think i'm also just so used to like dice rolls being kind of every now and then kind of being uh lower stakes like you know per- what does a perception check look like in this game or something like that so there, there's there's some recalibrating to do for me there. And then also kind of going into a game where I haven't killed a lot of characters on this show. I haven't killed a lot of uh, player characters throughout my TTRPG career. Not for lack of trying. Not for lack of... I got so close last season. <laughs> but, I guess two seasons ago, because last season would be hometown holidays and we weren't going to kill anyone in that one. But how to approach a game where that is like not only a part of it, but like a necessary part of it. Yeah, and how to how to make that fun and and exciting and and I don't know it, it's it's a thing I I don't really I feel like with other games like Orbital Blues I kind of had the outline in my head because I I knew what Cowboy Bebop was you know what I mean like that kind of gave me a framework to work around Viking Cats I don't have a framework for yet so I gotta like find that and then once I have that outline great now I can color in the lines it's just Roy and Bart. Abby and I have a pretty extended mythology around our our cats. They have many <laughs> nicknames. They have many adventures. <laughs> I feel like that's what I'll be drawing. That's on. that's going to carry you. So, Brian, there was a lot of pieces there, but I guess like kind of one of the ones maybe to start with is like, how do you think about dice rolls and when dice are rolled in this game versus like Brian sort of said like. What does a perception check look like, or is there a version of a perception check, or if it's if it's rolling, are we swinging kind of thing? There's some good safety nets baked in to help you out, but also like you know, like like when you're setting up your session zero, like good things to communicate. One of the things is like at the end of the day, how like the the DM as written the the death. Let's let's use our proper terminology here. Death is on point. For describing deaths, but one of the sort of it's not a safety tool because it's baked into the game. And I think of safety tools as being kind of extra meta layers on top of a game. But as written, if someone gets a death they don't like, they can just say, Nope, I want another one. So if you're if you're worried about making sure that death feels good and feels appropriately valiant, that's sort of baked into the rules and that that's sort of a table wide like let's let's get there together kind of thing where um yeah we we do sort of ask the the death to do a little bit of an ego check sometimes that if something isn't satisfying for that player that's not a a big judgment on death that's just an opportunity to work together to find something more exciting and satisfying for everyone. Um, so that's that's sort of your your safety net. So the other element of it is it the game kind of assumes and buys into the fiction that all cats, by virtue of being cats, are peerless, good-at-everything warriors. So there's an element 
let's using a perception check as an example, like if it can be seen, they will see it, you know, like there's, there, there's no real need to do it because there's sort of like, like, you know, blades in the dark and, and games of that milieu kind of talk about assuming competence. And this sort of assumes excellence uh, in yeah. all things. Oh yeah. If death has recruited this cat for this particular band, they are excellent. They are going to see things. They are going to succeed at definitely any minor task, probably most medium tasks. And that's why it's only when it is really in question, because this is an exceptional thing, that you would be called upon to roll for it. But let's say you forgot all that and you called for a perception check, right? Let's say that happens. The good news is this you can work backwards from that of, well, we rolled dice, therefore there must be something to kill or kill you here. <laughs> this is where everybody having to write out a hated nemesis is a really useful thing to have on hand. This is where there's always assassins lurking everywhere if there needs to be. So you can work backwards if you, and it can actually be really fun to ask people to roll dice for seemingly mundane things and kind of set yourself up for the scramble of, okay, oh gosh, oh geez, what is what can kill you here? And just have slimes drop from the ceiling or crabs come up from the sand or what, you know. Old traps that haven't been sprung yet. Yeah, you can kill a trap. You can Ooh. kill a concept. Or, you know, something like you s thought you were going into a safe place and it turns out there's a an old human vacuum there that can be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't know. Just, just anything moving fast enough can kill you. So, you you know, it, you just have to open your mind to uh, the, the limits of potential murder. There is something really fun there that I, I feel like this exists in most TTRPGs where you'll you'll call for a check and players are like, what? why do I need a check here? You know, like where it's like, make an insight check. You're like, well, why? There's nothing around. This one's even worse because if I ever call for a check, they're like, oh, something is going to kill me. Or you're going to kill it, which is equally tricky to wrap mm -hmm. your head around of, I guess I kill the door. What does that even mean? It doesn't. It'll be it's fun. I love that you said you can kill a concept that 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 speaks to the metal nature of this game. <laughs> So for, for folks who don't know, because obviously we've had to look through the text, but when you come up to one of those situations and you're rolling to see who is dying or what is dying, what is that core dice mechanic here? So to sort of start from jargon and work backwards to a, an explanation people will care about. So it's an opposed dice roll system where essentially... So cats have four attributes. They have brutality, viciousness, cunning, and ferocity. You're going to pick two, or depending on the weapon you're using, they'll be chosen for you. Roll the dice associated with them and report the highest. The death kind of has a lot more free reign to just pick two dice that feel right, with bigger dice being scarier. And they might get bonus dice if, if the opponent is tricky or magical or what have you. They roll those dice and... Whoever has the higher number wins. Whoever has the lower number dies. And if there's a tie, both die. Mm. Whether challenging an opponent who is a dog or a raccoon or death itself, ties go to death. The intent is to make a game where the dice, the combat mechanic 
is as fast as possible and as chaotic as possible. So hence the sort of rolling dice on both sides, like you can, I guess, conceivably rolling two four-sided dice against two 12-sided dice. You don't know how that's going to go. It could, it is less likely, but conceivably possible to roll snake eyes on two 12-sided dice. It is intended to be, and this does put a little bit of perhaps a culture of play shift on death because it is intended for you to feel like herding cats. Like it should be a little bit, not difficult to plan, but I wouldn't hold on too hard to those plans because it's very difficult to know how this is going to break for you to encourage you to, and then to arm you with the things you need to improvise because you just need two dice to have a scary thing. And then you can just fill time by describing them in a crazy metal way until someone says, wait, is this a vacuum cleaner that we're fighting? Um, so, you know, you can always throw more. You can just throw more on. I guess just so I have a reference point in my head for the, for the games that you've run of this game or games that you've like seen other people play or anything, how often are people rolling dice in this game? It, like compared to a Dungeons and Dragons or or a more standard Swords and Sorcery uh, role-playing game. Is it as common and we're just dying left and right? Or is it coming out only in, in extreme moments? Oh, no. I think it's you're rolling dice more than, <laughs> than your Dungeons and Dragons. Because Dungeons and Dragons, you've always got that, like, you got that player who picked a wizard and he wants to really think about whether or not to open the door. And, like, you, I feel like, the way, and this is, this is, let's disinvite the designer here, but the way I run it, one of the biggest, earliest playtest feedback that we got when we were working on it was that we didn't, we, the pacing was all wrong. You can't run a game for two, three hours as a one shot and just have it be constantly escalating, which was a funny thing because I kept doing it. Like, clearly you can. And like, when I run it, it turns out Nine lives is too many mm. to really burn through all of them in a one shot. Or at least certainly uh, nine lives is a lot to get through when you have nine lives times the number of cats in your party and you're trying to constantly escalate the adrenaline of that situation. That can be really tough for death to not have your sort of quiet points, your your rest breaks. and in that case, something that we recommend is rolling at the beginning to see how many deaths your cat has already survived and pick blessings accordingly. Yeah, that takes some pressure it, off. It takes some pressure off. It gives you a bit of, bit of a head start and lets you pace, I think, a little more comfortably if you are not necessarily trying to play uh, for a really long time or for a whole campaign. Did you know that Ben Folds 5 only has three band members? Yeah. So we, you know, the problem is when you write a game mechanic into the title, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's baked in. But, uh, but I think the goal is, yeah, roll dice more. Roll dice an awful lot. The same thing happened with Douglas Adams. He made the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy and they kept wanting more. So it just became the inaccurately named Hitchhiker's Trilogy with the fourth book and then the increasingly inaccurately named Hitchhiker's Trilogy with the fifth book. You, you're really shooting for four or five lives to Valhalla. Um, but uh, but 
Or at we, least that's what we've seen. Uh, people are more comfortable sustaining that level of energy for four or five lives. If you can make it last for nine, like, Godspeed, that's wonderful. Mm. But you should know there is a, a release valve that I suppose even like if you started playing with one and uh, realized like, no, this is this is not something I feel up to today. You could always return to that and be like, OK, we're going to have a time jump. And do some rolling, see what well, deaths we've gotten idea. through. Yeah, time yeah. skip would be a good mm-hmm. pressure valve also. We should write or that down. Or a death down. montage. <laughs> yeah. Death montage Death would be montage great. is good. You get some music queued up. There's something fun about starting with already having like lost four, five, six lives. Because then in almost in the session zero, in the character introduction, you can be like, my name is Meowie von Meowerson, and here are the six ways I've died. And all of a sudden, you get a pretty good sense of that character. Like, if they always die falling into volcanoes, you're like, all right, this is a clumsy character. Or if they always mm. die, you know, taking on the biggest thing they could possibly find, then it's like, great, now I know what to throw at this person that they're, they're, they're going to jump at. Well, yeah. and every time a cat dies, they come back from Valhalla. They, they are turned away because they haven't used all of their lives, but they are gifted a blessing that makes them stronger and faster and tougher which in turn makes it harder on death to kill them the next time but you can also tell a lot about the cat from which blessings they've chosen to receive so i think one of the things we're getting at here and i love the what you said brian about how describing the deaths you've already had sort of gives you a sense of character but i want to dig in a little bit on just like character creation and that piece of this game, kind of making your cat and what all goes into that. Could you give us just kind of a brief overview of that? So you are going to make a cat with a name and a fur color and a description and a hated nemesis from your past. Feel free to go around the table and describe what, why your hated nemesis is just absolutely the worst. Getting into the mechanics, then you choose your favorite god or your favored god, the god who has blessed you. Could also be your favorite god. Pardus, Anka, Tigris, Leo, and Uncia. Uh, fans of the animal kingdom will recognize the leopard, jaguar, tiger, lion, and snow leopard. So that's going to give you your dice pool. So it's sort of a spread. Uh, if the leopard favors you, you'll get 2d6, 2d8, um, and you'll assign each of those to your brutality, viciousness, cunning, and ferocity. Brutality is force, vigor, hardiness, obstinance. Viciousness is uh, your precision and, you know, fine motor function. Cunning is how your your ability to sort of think and plan. And ferocity is your instinct and reaction and fury. So you're going to assign those. You'll choose uh, your mastered weapon, dual weapons, single weapons, great weapons, bows, fang and claw, or dark magics with a K because it is metal. And each of those do align with uh, certain attributes. So... You you can choose based on what you think sounds coolest. That is absolutely valid. You can also choose based on, well, this weapon works well with these attributes or vice versa, and I want to really strategize my cat. That's cool also. Uh, and you begin play with one blessing, and I'm not going to list all of them because there's a bunch, but um, essentially every time you die, you will, which should be a lot, you come back with another blessing from Valhalla. And those tend to offer a mechanical or narrative benefit to the character. On the subject of blessings, can you give us like 
uh, a taste of like what's your favorite one and what's what's one that stands out to you just so people get an idea of of what these things can be it turns out in Norse mythology Freya in in actual Norse mythology and, and if we're wrong that's okay because this is just about cats we're yeah. not trying for historical accuracy <laughs> yeah there's a whole there's a whole thing there so we can be wrong for the purposes of this podcast totally so if you receive the blessing of Freya's chariot whether or not that's actual mythology don't at me the cats who once pulled Freya's chariot would count you among their number upon your final death. Anytime a die shows six when you roll brutality, roll an additional die of that size and add it to your results. So you get sort of exploding dice, but only for your brutality die because the the cats that pull a chariot have taken a shine to you. Another one that I think tends to be real popular is the blessing of the gifted breath of mankind's babe which allows you to, on exactly one occasion, speak as men once spoke and issue a command to a dog that they must obey. Which, you know, given the right combat situation, uh, or non-combat situation, but let's be real, there aren't many of those, that can be a really fun thing to bust out. Goes incredibly hard. Yeah. <laughs> I also just I I have I want to take a moment here to shout out like the writing throughout this book and the way that you guys have imbued so much flavor in all of these abilities. It is really mm-hmm. a joy to read. And like I feel like you like get that tone from everything. It was a lot of fun to write purely because as soon as we had sort of the premise, we we stopped treating it like a joke and just started being like, okay, so if if we accept this ridiculous premise, how would a person who really believe it, it's 1980s and we work for Games Workshop and we're trying to come up with our, our super hard metal like thing, how would that be written? We've written multiple comedy games at this point, and every time our approach to writing comedy turns out to be, well, don't try to write comedy you know, you you commit to the bit and that allows for the comedy to happen at the table or in the reading without us trying to be super clever and make you laugh. I have to admire your restraint to not put as many cat puns as I think I would have put in this scene. Like there are some for sure. But like I, I it's like you said, it's like committing to the like seriousness of the world you've created. We like living within it rather than poking fun at it from outside. Well, and when we do refer to what is it? Meow Hala. I think there's there's a Midgard Meow oh, it's, Guard. It's Meow Guard. When we do make puns like that, it's like, well, okay, can we take that seriously as writers and as death? Like uh, if we can't we might think of it initially as like, oh, what a fun chuckle. But if we can't take that seriously, that's not the right joke for the book. We talked about Meow, Meow Guard for like a very long time. <laughs> I remember sort of like, okay, no, but can we while also can we not was an extended internal deliberation before we realized we had to because it was too much fun. The 80s are over. And you're not kids anymore. Now is a much darker time. Something happened to you and you got touched by the weird and it made you wild and it made you powerful. This is the world of the Lost Bay. 
a suburban gothic RPG. A fever dream set in 1990X and inspired in equal parts by dark fantasy, horror classics, and the 90s indie culture. After years of development, and thanks to the feedback and support of a community of early enthusiasts, The Lost Bay is coming to Kickstarter, featuring a full rulebook and complete setting designed by Eco, kick-ass art by Evangeline Gallagher, killer maps by Strega Wolf Vandenberg, and six additional modules by some of the coolest designers in the indie scene. So go to thelostbayrpg.com to be notified on launch. That's thelostbayrpg.com. There's a great line I heard, I want to say it was like Brian Cranston or something said this, of about playing comedy, about how your character can't for a second think what they're doing is funny. Basically, like, if, if you're laughing, if your character's laughing, then the audience doesn't have to laugh. If your character's crying, the audience doesn't have to cry. But if you're doing something serious, the audience can laugh. If you're trying not to cry, the audience can then cry on your behalf. And I think there's something interesting to that in game design, too, of, like, if you don't quite put the joke in, it allows us, like, as the players, to do the joke. Whereas if the jokes are already given to us, it's like, oh, okay, we've, the jokes are there for us. We don't have to make them. Hopefully, it should drive itself. Like, that, that was sort of a goal for the, the comedy of the whole thing, is, like, you don't necessarily need to be funny to have a funny time playing this game because everything about the game is driving you to do to absurdity to like not just die gloriously but like to seek out well where's the biggest problem that i can go and pit myself against the biggest most outrageous thing and then humor can naturally flow from that commitment I think there's two two things that I really like about this game from a game master's perspective. One is that uh, by playing death, you just get to straight give the quest. You're just like, hey, I'm death. Here's the quest. <laughs> there's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's not a plot hook. It's just me saying, here is your quest, which is nice sometimes. But the other one is that inherent to this game is like, we are cats seeking a glorious death. Like That's kind of what you're going for the, the whole way through that immediately encourages the players towards action rather than inaction. These are not characters who are like trying to escape something. These are characters who are running headfirst towards the biggest and baddest and scariest thing. And that makes it so much easier for a game master to just put a couple of big, bad, scary things in the distance and see which one you run towards. Rather than trying to herd the cats, you can just put the treats out in the distance and they'll run towards the treats. Yeah, I love the um the the nemesis part of creation because I I love I love when character creation has GM fuel baked into it. Mm. That's always a delight. So kind of I think leaning into a little bit more of this this role of death. What are kind of your key pieces of advice for 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 running as death? And we've gotten, you know, we've you've dropped a few nuggets already, but what are sort of the maybe from a like when you're playing death at the table like sort of advice? Brian, you already hit on one of the the biggest ones and one of the ones that like even I forget in play, but is a really kind of nice thing to, to fall back on is that is death as a character and death physically being present for everything that's happening and so on. A, it's a really fun thing to describe, but B, it sort of short circuits any moments where where things start to derail like you can just pull a ghost of Christmas future and point if 
you know, when you when you need things to move or when when players are looking for direction. And I think, yeah, the the intent is to make it very easy to if the if the treats aren't if the if the cats aren't going towards the treats, the treats can come to the cats like you can just have (laughs) a hated nemesis kick down a wall. And okay, now this is happening. You can kick down a wall, jump out from behind a bush. Like, you can, if you need a hated nemesis to drop out of the sky, what a curious mystery. But it did it. I am curious. I actually, I have a question for you, Brian, which is, how are you feeling about the knowledge that one of the players can at any time kill you and take your job? Elliot sent me this game a while ago. I was reading through it and I was like, this is very fun. Maybe we should play it on the show. And then I saw the line, the cat, any cat can kill death and then they become death. And I was like, we gotta play it on the show. (laughs) So there is something funny because that's something that I'll have to kind of like brief the players on too. Luckily, of the people who are playing, I think only one of them has not GM'd before, uh, which which is Michelle who honestly might be the person most likely but to maybe to the most likely to go <laughs> yeah. after you. Yeah. Michelle, you have to. <laughs> Michelle, you have to. <laughs> so so I am looking forward to it because I think there are a number of players who would be interested in trying to take that on. And also I find that to be an exciting and challenging thing because this encapsulates a lot of me as a person because I remember in college I discovered Ingmar Bergman and of course like every college freshman and I watched The Seventh Seal you know loved that image and the second I read this thing I was like that is the image of death just the the tall very pale Swedish figure uh, standing there across from um, but a cat but a cat yeah. yes. but I think that what's interesting is like that's your image of death but if one of us decides to kill you and take our place we then get to insert our own oh yeah version I, I love on top i love going from like ingmar bergman's stoic death to then like all right we're so you know michelle gets it and she's like all right death is now harley quinn <laughs> or you know something <laughs> right. crazy or death is just a mouse that's running around and doing random shit no there's something very fun to that uh yeah th- there's a certain amount of a loss of control that i'm sure i'll have to fight with in the moment but i'll love having like a backup cat ready to be played should a character choose to kill me and I feel like there's like a 50-50 chance that the whole game is just... Is just trying to kill death over just and more over people again. trying to kill death over and over again. Which, uh, off chance becomes tedious. But, but I think it'll be fun. I always like games where the GM is not some standoffish god running the world, but is a player themselves interacting and reacting just as much as any other player. And I think we really push that in this game by allowing you to kill death and take over for death. That really does turn death into another character that is being played at the table. Every time it's happened, because it doesn't always happen. Like, but it, you but know. it has happened and we have witnessed it at times. And it is like, you'll forgive the mixed metaphor, but it is like watching a dog actually catch a car. Like they, they, they're like, I did it. I'm death. And then it's like, wait, oh, now no. I have to oh, no, run I the game. I didn't plan anything. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think about what happens next. We're only <laughs> half an hour into the session. You've got to yeah. do the next hour and a half. 
So there is, the, you know, it is kind of a, a nice reprieve, but it does invite a, a uh, hold on tightly, let go lightly. Though we were talking earlier about the the sort of challenge of maintaining a level of energy. Mm. And that's that's something I've seen when there's been a GM who was starting to flag a little bit well somebody else challenged them and was able to relieve them and pick up that energy and carry that for a while and turn it into more of a a collaborative effort which i thought was a cool way to use this i have to resist the urge as a player in this upcoming game to just come for you brian but (laughs) it'll be it's also interesting because then that invites a fun like in-world conversation of like great, you're trying to kill death. What does that look like in a fight? Like, that's a fun narrative description. And what does death do to protect itself in that moment? Yeah, you know? and, and then there's, you know, if death dies, because once you roll the dice, you know, everything's kind of determined, but you can kind of walk backwards to what the roll actually meant. So, like, if death wins, great, sends you to Valhalla, and you can come back again and try again. Death loses. Did you genuinely defeat death? Did death allow themselves to be destroyed because they want to walk amongst the mortals as a cat did death fudge those dice (laughs) did death fudge those dice i mean there's there's a lot of fun to be had there in description and in play because all you have to work with is who won like you there's there's not a a a sliding scale also i love what what happens if they they tie everyone dies then the game's just over everyone is immortal (laughs) yeah i don't think we that one we we didn't officially get the rule i think we put it in the adventure but um but we figured out through play once this was published i think that uh in case of ties when going up against death the tie goes to death yeah that feels Uh, right that's how we've run it Mm -hmm. if you know if you want to be like we want to run it another way well okay it's your table file that one under Airbud rules like have, <laughs> let the dog let the dog play ba- basketball figure it out in the moment do but. what is most fun at your own table yeah i'm imagining the the instant thought i have for how i would want to handle that is then like the remaining cats just all like scramble after the mantle of death it's just like floating there for the taking mm, oh, sure. that's very good because now they're now there's pvp mm-hmm. which is very easy to yeah no fabulous everyone just a uh that's actually better. I like yours. <laughs> you can you can have that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Brian, you can't. Sorry. Aww. <laughs> so one of the things, Brian, I know we talked about a little bit before this conversation was, um, and you asked this at the beginning, this was one of your sort of nervous things, was uh, making sure each death feels glorious. And Dan and Kali, I really kind of want to drill in on, in your experience playing this, bringing this to the table, how do you handle those death moments are you narrating the full journey to valhalla and the granting of the blessing and the coming back or is it like bing bang boom what's your sort of uh go-to for that i think one thing for us it's been a lot more collaborative storytelling like death tells a little bit of it death may also just ask the cat to describe portions of it it's sort of a working together to come up with the most outrageous, honorable, glorious thing, which does tend to involve a bit of yes-anding. 
the question, the most frequent question I think we've gotten from players is, is players looking for more explicit guidance on sort of the mechanics, the, the, the like narrative mechanics around death of like, are there still corpses lying around? Which, you know, like, like, are they clones they or something? they up to Valhalla and then fall back down, in which case did Valhalla provide a parachute? We, we've gotten some questions <laughs> like that. And I do feel like that's the sort of thing that, again, like, you should determine that for whatever makes your table happiest. That's how it works. I can answer that question for you, the, the parachute thing. And this is, the, this is a fun cat fact I know. In New York City, cats have fallen out of windows from many different heights over the course of 100 years. And someone has been tracking this. And it turns out if a cat falls from a height of a fourth floor or below, it lands on its feet, it's fine. If it falls from a height above eight floors, up to like a hundred floors, like cats have been found to fall from like 30, 40, 50 floors, they land on their feet and they're generally fine. They don't die. Like they might have like injuries, but they're fine. If a cat falls between floors four and eight, that has been dubbed the kitty death zone and cats oh, rarely no. survive from that height. Because apparently so like- Valhalla above the eighth floor. Val- as long as Valhalla is above the eighth floor, <laughs> you're fine. The cat will land on its feet and be fine. I think it's like a terminal velocity thing. Like if, if they're above the eighth floor, they have enough time to like figure shit out. And below four, they're like, we're fine no matter what. It's something between four and eight. They don't have enough time to figure everything out. For for our listening audience, as Brian is saying this, Dan's game designer brain is clearly doing some work. <laughs> no, that's incredible. There's an adventure in that. There's a there's absolutely this you credit crediting will occur if if we pursue this. But there is a like the the kitty death zone because there's still skyscrapers. They're just at the mm-hmm. wrong angle. Um or there isn't. Whatever, it's your game. But like, you know, in this sort of post human ruin. Anyways, I uh I could talk about this for an hour, but I don't think <laughs> we're here to talk about. That's wild. That's that's really fun. What were we talking about? We were talking about just like the the death narration. You sort of talked about collaborative, going at it collaboratively. I guess, Brian, how are you feeling? You know, we've been talking for a bit here about lots of different great advice from Dan and Kali. How are you sort of feeling about the things we talked about at the beginning? I'm feeling pretty good. I I, honestly, I think the biggest thing for me in terms of like preparation of what I want to figure out is like, is kind of what, what you're talking about, Dan, is like when a character dies, what does that look like? just logistically on the ground do they disappear Mm -hmm. is there a corpse whatever what does valhalla look like Like, i kind of want to have a clear almost ritual for that because it's going to happen so many times Mm -hmm. i I don't want it to it it, it, you can't afford especially because we're kind of on a time limit for a podcast we can't afford to do like an epic death scene and then like we describe the shimmering halls of valhalla and there's like a new a brand new scene each time but if you kind of make that into a bit of a ritual of a sort Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden it becomes, it still is epic because it's this it's this repetition that is exciting and familiar but different each time. But it's not this like time consuming beat. You get the things that you want, and then you kind of move on in the storytelling. So I think figuring out what that is for this story, figure out how I want to do that, will be like my biggest lift as a as death. One way we've seen people play is the death occurs the cat goes off to Valhalla that is recognized and then play continues while that cat does their business in Valhalla and when they are ready to drop back down into play, 
they can let everybody know what cool new blessing they have. But that that way, play doesn't have to stop for everyone else. They're just on their own path for a few minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is this is teasing out something that's actually I I haven't really thought about before. And it's always been implicit, but I've never like really reflected on it, which is when I have run the game and when I've seen the game run, typically the perspective like where the camera is or whatever is really tied to where death is. Like I've never and I like I said, I never really thought about it, but I've never done a scene at the gates of Valhalla because that's not where death is. Death is down oh, here. Interesting. Like that happens somewhere else. And like I will sometimes describe like a cat Valkyrie coming down and in the like, you know, Bugs Bunny wigged or winged helmet and like shield maiden, you know, thing like that. I'll describe and I'll describe them coming back down, although I do like the sort of over a hundred foot drop. That's a very, that sort of halo jump entry is also very good. That now I know is an, uh, a, a cat fact that I have <laughs> in my brain and will forever now. But I, I've never felt compelled to describe the turning away at the gates. And mm. I think it's because in, in my head, and again, disinvite the designer, whatever, but when I think about it, I think of it as very tied to death in what gets described and so on. But I never put those two things together in my head of like death as a character and the sort of where the narration happens. Mm. But that is what I would do. That doesn't mean, I think there is an interesting opportunity for like at least one, because they'll TPK. One cutscene. You'll get a TPK. You'll get a new nemesis. That'd be a fun, everyone's at the gates at the same time moment. All in line taking a number. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As opposed to, Staying with death, who's just like, all right, well, I'll have a sit and wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will just hang out here. Brian, I'm, I'm curious, do you have any other specific questions you'd want to ask um, before we sort of work towards a close? You know, actually, I, I'd love to hear, because, uh, you know, I, I said it before that for a lot of other games, I have a, a reference point from some other kind of media. For Viking Cats, I have less of a reference point. Can you share, like, a a story from one of your tables that comes to mind of like, this was an one of the most epic moments from a Nine Lives to Valhalla game, or this was like the best death of a cat I've ever seen. When we wrote an adventure in, uh, in uh, a thing we promised we would not do as scope creep, um, and then immediately turned around and did mid Kickstarter campaign. Um, but a lot of the sort of like lessons learned and so on kind of went into that. Like, in the main book, it doesn't mention that you can kind of break big monsters into parts. Um, mm. But that comes up in the there's two sort of big climactic like this is the dragon fights. And in that case, it's like, OK, well, you make the head its own sort of thing and then you kill the head. But there's still all this other stuff happening. That doesn't answer your question. I just wanted to get that out there in a in a different game. Um, having that end with one cat with one live left. Everybody else had ascended to Valhalla except one cat who then challenged death. And it was down to this sort of final roll. And then it was a tie. Um, it was perfect. So, you know, cute, great, perfect, ambiguous ending. But I, the way I do it is I like to lean into the melancholy of constant reminders of the folly of mankind. I like having the Hoover Dam. I like having an abandoned pet store 
is a really fun place to like get weird with it. You could play that like you could play it just straight Tolkien fantasy almost like if you wanted to. There is one death I remember. It was an early game death from playtesting where the group came up to a ravine and it was unclear if we would be able to just jump to the other side. So one cat went, well, here I go and jumped across the ravine, except it turned out it was too wide to jump across and that cat plummeted to its death, actually. And it was a noble heroic death because it sacrificed itself boldly in this, I'm either going to be glorious and prove that my team can do this or take literally take the fall for them. And this cat died and everybody else sort of went, okay, so now we know we need to find a, a different route down. And they'll the, that cat caught up with them down at the bottom and it all worked out. But that sort of, like, oh, yeah, to an extent, death is cheap. Like, you can just fling yourself out as long as you're doing it boldly and gloriously, then you can always kind of back your way into how that works with the story or how that death resolves gloriously. But, like, there's, it doesn't always have to be you were combating some human-sized giant, it can be something as simple as you take a risk for the party to check something out, and yeah. that doesn't work. Yeah, as long as, I think, in a situation like that, as death, being very comfortable saying, okay, now we need to figure out how you killed a ravine. And I'm going to make that all our problem because that's getting it very, you know, maybe maybe you landed in such a way where there's a cave-in and now it's like damned or something. And so the ravine, the ravine is now dead. The ravine is um, just really ashamed of itself on a, a real uh, mineral level. The ravine level. closes in shame. <laughs> the ravine closes in shame. Very, that feels like it's that something in a Viking saga. The ravine was always alive and is a mouth, and now you you murdered it. Like all very valid answers to the question of how does one kill a ravine? Um, <laughs> but I think that's that is the for the for death, that is the fun. Thinking of these sort of itchy and scratchy, outrageous like ends to things and making that the prime your primary responsibility is sort of these over the top. Dark Souls item descriptions of the world around you and these over-the-top, cartoonish, glorious, blood-soaked ends to things that you would not have thought of as being able to be killed sometimes. So to an extent, that that tension is by design. That's that's for me, that's that I think is where the the fun of being death and the challenge is. But you have a table. And you have a safety net in that of, well, if you're not sure, you're not the only one thinking about death all the time yeah. at the table. I don't think this is, this is not a game that rewards your more passive player. I think mm. it really, it likes everybody to get involved and revel in the story together. So, uh, Brian, you feeling good? I'm feeling good. Ready to take on that mantle of death? 
I am ready to become death, destroyer of worlds. Brian and become. Tan, Kali, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, giving all the great advice and talking us through this game. I cannot wait to play. Do you want to let our audience know where they can find you and your games? You can find us at a variety of places, almost all of which are linked from gemroomgames.com. You can find our physical zines at shopgemroomgames.com and all of our socials at, again, gemroomgames.com. We will link all of those things down in the show notes. And I have to shout out a little recommendation to grab the physical copy of Nine Lives to Valhalla because it is a very cool little zine and I love the artwork. And if you head on over to gemroomgames.com and use the promo code MYFIRSTDUNGEON at checkout, you will get 10% off your order of Nine Lives to Valhalla and The Wreck of the Murderous. So again, head on over to gemroomgames.com if you want to pick up this game and be sure to use the promo code MYFIRSTDUNGEON for 10% off your order. And that is all for this episode of My First Dungeon. Join us next week as we meet our ferocious felines and send them off to their glorious deaths. And as always, remember... If you're having fun, you're already doing it right. Bye-bye, everybody. If you're hearing this, that means you listen to every last second of this episode. If you're not caught up yet, that's great because then there's plenty more to listen to. But if you are caught up and you simply can't wait for the next episode, then you should head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and become a member of the Dice Pool. For just a few bucks a month, you'll get cast talkbacks, original games, and a full-length bonus actual play each and every month. As of the end of 2023, there is already over 20 hours of bonus audio, plus a whole bunch of other goodies to enjoy. So head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and jump into the Dice Pool. We'll see you there.